Exodus 14. I want to read a, an unusual uh, passage. I, I know we left Martin out too, and I like leaving Martin out. Uh, <laughs> These folk, this, this staff has just so enriched our lives. Thank all of you. We have a lot of folk on vacation or today. I text one of them. I said, I so wish that I were where you are. I'm having trouble concentrating this morning. I love the outdoors, and the fall is my favorite time of year. You're here in a few weeks. I'm going to go take a little time off, and I'm going to enjoy some of the fall if I can. I feel it's uh, important, ladies and gentlemen, that we always try to minister to, excuse me, what is present. And I want to talk to you today about something that I feel is very important. I want to talk to you about not being discouraged because there's plenty to discourage us at all times. Um, I bought one of these monthly things that you put a sticker on your car windshield and you can drive through the car wash, you know, it, it, how many times you want to in a month. And I put one on my car, my wife's car, and then I have a truck. And I put that on there. So I, I, I wash cars all my life and I just, I, I just, I don't want to do that anymore. And I, <laughs> biggest amen I got all morning, Mark. Um, but I canceled one of my cards, and I thought, well, I'm just going to let the thing go. And last night, coming in late, we had a car all dirty. We came from the wedding. I thought, I got I'm going to run my car through the car wash. I go through there, and of the, all the three cars, guess which sticker is expired? <laughs> and I had to embarrassingly back all the way out of the entry and turn around and drive out. You ever had those things? It was just wonderful. Um, and I, how many of you find that sometimes you're just impatient and you're disgusted? And I went, that's just how it is, isn't it? Of the three, it would happen to be mine. The one, and I use it more than anybody else. <laughs> uh, anyway, how many of you have ever been discouraged before? I want to speak courage into your life, but I want to come at it from the negative, I guess. Don't let Satan discourage you. And the more responsibility you have, the more avenues Satan has to come. I want you to follow me in Exodus 14. I'm going to look at verse 10. And when Pharaoh, this is Israel and Egypt, and when Pharaoh drew near, you understand Israel's trying to leave. They're fleeing Israel. And here comes the Pharaoh and his armies to capture them again, to keep them from leaving. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they, verse 11, said to Moses, listen to what's stirring inside their spirit here, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? How many of you just love people who can cheer you up? Have you ever noticed that we take to the negative the glass half empty more than it's half full? How many of you ever got instructions about traveling on a, on a traffic and go, go to the third green light? How many of you know it's seldom ever green when we're speaking? They're usually, how many, what color? Red lights. 
It's so easy to fall into the, but here's, here's a whole group. Of, have you brought us out here to let us down? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? And watch, here's their thinking before. Is it, is it not the word that we told you in Egypt? How many of you are struggling sometime with discouragement if somebody tells you so? I told you so. Who needs friends like that? <laughs> saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. Do you realize these people have been there 400 years, and for 400 years they prayed that God would deliver them out of Egyptian bondage, and they prayed, and they prayed, and God's answering their prayer, and because it's not a smooth road on a downhill drag by the tail to heaven, they got to complaining. Listen, the God that calls this guy, the guy that has brought this man, took him to 40 years on the desert, got his leadership ready, and he says, follow me. And now, God has done miraculous things. Go back to the plagues, ladies and gentlemen, before this. God miraculously did things for Egypt and, and or against Egypt and for the Israel, and they, and they get over here with a little problem, and they're just ready to totally go back. I want to just share something with you. God is always a forward-moving God. God is not a backward-treading God. God will not sponsor a backward move in your life, in a church, in a nation, anything. It is true when they wrote the words, onward, Christian soldier. <laughs> Discouragement. It comes from every direction. Why not just give in to it? It seems like life would be more simple. I want to declare to you that discouragement is of the devil. It does not come from God. It comes from a sin-cursed planet and one that will speak to your inner being if you listen to him to try to bring damnation through negativity and circumstance, situation, pressures to try to destroy your life. Discouragement in Scripture says that in the last day it will intensify. In the New Testament, it says that in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear of things that are coming upon them. This isn't, I guess it could be heart failure in the sense of a physical heart failure, but it's spiritually saying you're going to encounter so much pressure and such end time turmoil, and the scripture even called it travail as a woman with child on this planet that it will discourage anybody. I want to declare to you the Christian is a soldier. We are in a war and we are ordered to discourage and fight or to fight discouragement like a plague. And we know about something about a little plague or two. Winston Churchill, one of my heroes, if I got the story right, he was speaking at a graduation, of course, centuries, or decades ago. Winston Churchill, when introduced on the platform at a graduation, walked to the podium. You know these words. We still speak about them today. He simply said to that graduation class, never give up. Never, 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 never turned around, walked across, and sat down. I have a feeling that class never forgot that message. As a matter of fact, we're remembering it now. I read about his life. He not only said that, he practiced that, and he was a vicious, victorious man. I want to look at Scripture this morning 
and just some who had reason to give up. And I want us to look at what they would have lost if they had given up. Because we're going to be tempted to give up. Uncertainty speaks fear. What if I can and what if and what if? Israel was a discouraged nation living in Egyptian bondage. The Red Sea is in front of them. They're headed for their escape in a prayer answering from God. And there's no way to cross the river. The wilderness is on either side. Pharaoh's army is closing in from behind them. Their circumstance, their situation discouraged them. So they discourage one another in their negative conversation. Listen, sometimes reality can, can turn to a negative conversation. I want to say that everything that I thought, I try to be a realist, but I also know that everything is trumped by God. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I told Megan this morning, I thought of this this week. I want to put it on the sign. God's opinion is Jesus. Period. God's opinion is Jesus. No matter what this is about. Here in Israel, their sarcasm was obvious. I had to purposely say sar because I always say sarcasm. And my wife goes, it's not sour, it's sar. And I said, sar is sour. I don't even know what sarcasm is. <laughs> I know it's sarcasm. But listen to it. Because there's no graves in Egypt, have you brought us to the wilderness so that we die? Why has our, why has our leader, pastor, why would you ask us to do something like that? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? Ladies and gentlemen, moving forward is always the opportunity to gain. Moving backward is always loss. That kind of response became a pattern for Israel. Two years later, some of that same people will say, let us choose a captain and return to Egypt. They wanted the garlic and the leeks and the beans and all that. Well, you can keep the garlic. I'm just not a garlic fan. My wife loves it. Hello, honey. Just some little personal things there. Later on, Israel... This criticism had spread so strongly... That in Numbers 32 and 9, it, the scripture says, they discovered, discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. God intended for them to cross the Red Sea, to stay at, just travel across the wilderness, go straight over Jordan into the promised land, but they got stopped for 40 years because they got discouraged. In Deuteronomy 1, 27 through 8, it said, Moses... Moses uh, chastised them for their negative attitude. I want you to be very plain this morning. Young people, mom and dad, your friends and your companions, even sometime in the church can discourage you by a negative talk. Negativism is always short-sighted. It's always short-sighted. Today in 2021, our future is in question I believe we're in the last days. 
Yes, thank God for prophecy, but we don't really know the details of how this will work out. I want to give us a shield. I want to give us a determination today not to be discouraged. So follow me. There are four things. I want us to look at some folk and who, what they would have lost had they turned back. First of all, I want to look at what Israel would have lost if they turned back. First of all, they would have missed the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. One author that I think has a lot of credibility says that when that when he struck when Moses struck that water, those waters congealed and doing a study on the location, they say the water had to spread out wide and it had to stand over a hundred feet tall in a congealed, maybe frozen way. But the scripture says that they crossed on die on dry ground, the Egyptian army Israel traveled and got to the other side in the middle of the Red Sea, the Egyptian army, the waters collapsed and they were destroyed. Several years ago here, they found where the water actually was, uh, where they crossed the Red Sea. Some divers went down. Some of you may have never seen it, but they actually went down, saw old chariot wheels and iron and different things that the Egyptian army used back then. That's where they crossed. Those things were still present even to this day in the bottom. How many of you seen that? Pretty interesting. They would have missed that. How many of you think it might not be exciting to be standing on a, on a sea that goes and watch it congeal a hundred feet to the, and walk on dry water? I, that's not your average everyday nap time, is it? No. They'd have missed it. Secondly, their awesome experience at Mount Sinai. I want you to think about that. The thunder in the mountain, the smoke, the lightning, the quaking, the voice of omnipotence as God came down to deliver the Ten Commandments. We, we look at them in an austere way, and I think that's correct. But can you imagine the lightning fire of the finger of God carving in a stone that he created his commandments? That was quite a sight. Thirdly, they would have missed the coming of the miracle of the manna. And what a miracle that was. Think about this. For whatever impossibility Satan's trying to tell you to believe today, I, we know that then Israel had at least 600,000 soldiers. There was approximately a, to, a total population of the Jews that were two and a half to three million people. This didn't line up 10 abreast and go across an ocean. I had one guy do a study. He said if they were, if they were one foot apart and there was three million people, he talked about it would take like eight hundred yards and people would have to be 18 inches here to back and it would take them all these hundreds and thousands and millions. It took a long time to cross that sea. This is not you and me crossing a creek. This is amazing. Here they are to feed these people. Someone measured this. I don't know who I read it. I, how they do this, I don't know, but it's food for thought. Someone said in their calculations, it would take a hundred train cars, each with 60 tons of manna on each one every single day to feed these people. And watch this. It happened every day for 40 years. 40 years. <laughs> what, what does that 
in your doubt today, in your circumstance, in the pressure you're under, that Satan's trying to get you to cave in and say, it's through. What does that say about God's power of his faithfulness for your future and your tomorrow? I just want to say, God is no less God today than he was when he gave them the manna. Fourthly, seeing the water come from the rock. I could use the same numbers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine two and a half, three million people, they're, they're thirsty in this dry desert land. Did you bring us out here to kill us? And God has Moses pray, and he says, strike a rock. This is not a dripping. This is not a little, little, little creek. This is going to water two and a half to three million people. Let me tell you, this had to be a river of water. Every day for 40 years. Don't you think God should be disgusted with us sometime? I just thought I'd throw that in because we try to humanize God all the time. See in the water, they would have missed it. What about the cloud by day and the fire by night? We read through that. Can I tell you that God supernaturally protected Israel as they traveled in the daytime? The enemies between Israel and the enemy, he would put a big cloud so that the enemy could not find Israel. At night, he would light their path and, and light the way so that they could travel at nighttime. Listen, God knows how to take care of his people. And I think number six, what about the crossing of Jordan? We, I think, let, please let me use my imagination. Here we are. We have traveled for 40 years. God has supernaturally fed us. He has supernaturally given us water. For 40 years, we have sat here in this one. We've gone around this mountain for 40 years. And, and just let me use my imagination and, and, and let me not do any discredit to the Father for sure. But I think God has a right sometime to sit on his throne, sit high, look low, and go, how long are you going to march around this mountain? You have any idea what I have planned for you? You could have been over there 39 and a half years already. I'm not... I wonder what it is that God wants to take you to and let you experience and bless your life, but you, because you're discouraged or you don't measure God like God is to be measured, that you haven't experienced. What are you going to lose if you don't go forward? What are you going to lose if you don't go forward? I think that's a good question to ask ourselves all the time. And I think God would say, Hi, I'm through. I'm, I'm saying, get off this mountain and cross that Jordan River. The Jordan is not nearly as big as the Red Sea. Why is it that we see miracles and then that's great and we see something that's less and our mind says, well, God can't possibly do this. Maybe we all just park there a minute. <laughs> How many of you have seen a miracle in your life? I will tell you, if you're genuinely saved, that's a miracle. But I'm going to tell you, I've seen God do things for us. As a matter of fact, not the date. It was uh, Wednesday. This Wednesday marks our 34th year in this pulpit, 34 years. And I want to tell you, for us to be where we are is a miracle. You are sitting in a miracle. 
Literally a miracle. Let's not forget the blessings of God. Here they are crossing Jordan. God says, get up and go on to the promised land and march around Jericho. They would have missed that. And here God shows his power again. Here's these massive walls. And you know, they say there it was 28 feet wide and about 18 feet tall. You could drive two or three chariots across its walls. This isn't just a two before or a two by eight wall. Let me tell you, this is a wall. And God said, I want you to just march around, be quiet. The last day, you know, the trumpet, the lights, and the, the scriptures and history tells us that they begin to tremble and they did fall, but most of the time, the historians think they fell into the ground like, and they went across the walls. Listen, God can do things beyond what we understand. And seeing those walls fall and sink into the ground and then conquering giants, giant after giant after giant. I preached years ago, giants just keep coming. If you think one victory is going to get you there where you're headed, think again. But listen, every test, every discouragement, every encouragement from God and everything we win should make us stronger in leadership to follow God in a further direction. He's done this, he's done this, he's done this. Why can't he do this? How many of you understand me? Satan can jerk us back to that so easily. Conquering giants, eating the fruit of the land. Listen, maybe, I, I, I know humanity enough to know, I guarantee you they got sick of manna. You say, prove it. Well, I will tell you they got to begging God for quail. And God sent them meat and quail, and he, and he stopped the manna, and they got sick of that, so God went back to manna. Sometimes we're just, too puking fickle. You say, Pastor, where'd you get the word puking? Greek. <laughs> Surely they have a word close to it. Uh, when I was in Bible college, every, you know the joke is a cafeteria is always the worst food. And my very freshman year, I'm telling you the puking food over there and the puking this and the puking. And here I am all these years later. Pray for me, God, get that out of my vocabulary. Here they are eating the fruit of the land. Better food than they've ever had in their life. But because they did not turn back, they saw it all. <laughs> Discouraged, yes. Disheartened, sure. But God always kept asking them to move forward. Saints, mom, dad, young people, do not let your circumstance, I don't care how difficult it's been, no matter how difficult, do not ever let it convince you to quit. Don't let even your companions, your friends, your mates, no matter how negative, discourage you. Some will tell you, it's time for you to save face. Focus your energy elsewhere. Let me tell you something. Don't listen to that. Listen to God. Listen to God's word. God has something good in store for your life tomorrow. Here's another one who seemingly had good reason to quit. He was a man by the name of Elijah. Oh, my. Ahab and Jezebel were evil king and queen. And they were furious with this man of God, Elijah. 
Elijah had slain their wicked prophets, 850 of them, and Jezebel promised to kill Elijah within 24 hours. She was the ruler of the nation, and she put a wanted dead or alive poster out on Elijah, and Elijah ran a day's journey away, stopped under a tree and prayed, Lord, please let me die. Please let me die. Elijah discouraged himself. Oh, hang on here. His own self-talk was defeating to him. He went into a cave. God spoke to him. And brother, those of you who've been here years ago, probably 25 again, I preached a message on this line. God said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And I emphasized each word, Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? You're the prophet. I called you. I've, I've set this all up. And Elijah, what, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? Here you go, John, a good message for your future. Martin can preach that and have 20 points in it. What are you doing here? Elijah said, Lord, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. The whole nation is given over. So God sent a wind to speak to him, even broke the rocks. Then he sent an earthquake. Then he sent a fire. But these were not how God wanted to deal with Elijah. God wanted to deal with Elijah in a small, still small voice. And what happened, what the real thing was, is God was saying, I control all these elements. I can do anything with these. But I'd rather deal with you, Elijah, on a one-to-one -one basis. I want to speak to you as a father to a son tenderly. I want you to be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. You are 7,000% wrong. And by the way, I just want to say, I know theologians, and, and they know more than me perhaps, but I always had a different idea about that. I, I know he was discouraged. But I think he was discouraged for a different reason. And I understand people talk about burnout and all that, and I've heard all those messages, and they kind of put a hard shell on, on Elijah. But if you read the Scripture, I do not believe that Elijah was really afraid of Jezebel and Ahab and the wanted dead or alive. I don't believe that at all. A man who can call fire down out of heaven twice and, and destroy the enemy, I want you to know I don't think he's afraid of the king or the queen. Don't, remit, don't forget what the contest was all about. The contest was about who God is, and he's the one who answers by fire. But listen, that was, the, that was the, the proof of it. The issue was that the God that answers by fire, the nation would worship him. And even though he answered by fire, and even though God did show them, this whole nation did not turn to God. And this prophet who had told them, you will obey God, discourage because it changed not the society. That's a hard shell heart right there. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what concerns me more today than anything else. Father, we need a revival, but I, even if God sent fire out of heaven, I don't know that we would believe him. But God said there's 7,000 that have not bowed their head. God personally talked to Elijah. Look what Elijah would have missed if he had answered, if God had answered his prayer to die. Elijah became a bold, unafraid messenger of King Ahab and to Ahaziah. Elijah called fire from heaven, I said two times. In 2 Kings 2 and 11, 
It tells how he finished his journey in the company of his protege, Elisha. Listen to this. I, I'm, I'm in uh, 2 Kings 2.11. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, meaning Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. He would have missed that. You know, that's a pretty neat escape. That's a pretty nifty journey, I think. Could you have thought of that? Wow. Someone said that about this scripture. I don't know where I got it, I'd tell you, but it, someone, I, I copied this down a long time ago about this scripture, and I had it in the margin, I put it in here. Someone wrote it like this. You're talking about the chariot in the whirlwind. It said, God sent the hottest thing in heaven for the hottest man on earth to keep from cooling down while going up. <laughs> and even though Elijah's life was over on earth, listen, ladies and gentlemen, his adventures didn't end even in his death. Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? Hundreds of years later, Matthew 17, Elijah and Moses appeared with the three disciples in Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen, Moses died and God buried him, but Elijah went to heaven alive. That's a beautiful picture of our life after death, whether by the grave or whether by the rapture, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be with the Lord. It was a good thing God didn't answer Elijah's prayer to die. He would have missed all that. And ladies and gentlemen, it's a good thing when God doesn't say yes to all our prayers too. <laughs> Don't allow your attitude to discourage you from discouraging from serving God. I got to hurry. Third one is Ruth. Follow this real quickly. Ruth is an amazing person in the scripture. She was discouraged by a relative. Listen, your, your, your friends may be one thing, and, and even just getting discouraged by circumstance, but from your family and your friends, be careful here. i got to draw a line, so watch this. There was a famine in Israel. Elimelech took his wife, Naomi. The Scripture says they were just going to surgeon for a while, sojourn for a while. We're just going to travel over here because there's a famine. We're going to a place where we can eat. It's called Moab. The Moabites were pagan. God told them. See, they went to Moab because they didn't believe God could take care of them in a famine. And so they went, we'll just go so, sojourn for a while. I preached a message on that years ago too. Just for a while, just for a while. But it's man's thinking. They get over there, and they have two sons. Those two sons married. After a while, listen, your sin will never turn out right. It'll never turn out right. It'll never turn out right. You may get by for a while, and it may look good, but in the end, sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. And in Moab, Elimelech, the husband, and the two sons-in-law died. So here are three widows. Naomi, the mother-in-law now, Longing for her homeland, I'm going home. She said to her two daughters-in-law, turn away from me. Why go with me? Are there two more sons in my womb? You will be in a strange land, and you will be in strange customs. Stay, marry again in Moab. The three women wept. Orpah 
kissed Naomi, her mother-in-law, and stayed in Moab. And that's the last you ever hear of Orpah. Naomi discouraged Ruth, her other daughter-in-law. Return after your sister-in-law. Ruth's mother-in-law was discouraging to her. How many of you remember the old 50 song, mother-in-law, mother-in-law? I just thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> I had a great mother-in-law waiting for me in the glory world. Ladies, sometimes mother-in-law just get a bad rap, okay? I've probably lost every mother-in-law friend in the house. I don't know. Beware of discouragement even from relatives. I want to share something for you. God doesn't want to tell somebody else his will for you. He wants to tell you. Only you can determine, only you can actually determine the will of God for your life. Ruth says, and this is where we get it in the message, in the marriage, entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. Those are powerful words. Ladies and gentlemen, you too must make a firm determination. You too must purpose your heart to live for God. Look what Ruth would have missed. I'm just going to run by it. She would have missed marrying Boaz. I hope you read through the book of Ruth and see it. Handfuls on purpose. This man, it's an amazing romance. She married Boaz. If she stayed in Moab, she wouldn't have done that. And she and Boaz had a son called Obed. And Obed had a son, which was Jesse. And Jesse had a son called David. And David was the greatest king ever knew, ever had. And Ruth was his grandmother, great-grandmother. This lady, in following the will of God for her life, unbeknownst to her, put herself in the lineage of the Christ himself. She'd have missed that. She would have missed that. And the lineage of David produced Jesus Christ. Ruth moved directly into the bloodline of Jesus. Folks, I want to tell you something. Discouragement can be expensive of God's plan of your life. Let me run by you one more. I'll be through. Elisha. Pray that I can keep Elijah and Elisha separate, okay? Elisha got discouraged. Elijah got discouraged. Of all people, here's a spiritual leader, Elijah, has actually discouraged Elisha. I purposely read it. I think it had a purpose. That's just my opinion. I'll let you read it. Elisha had received a promise that if he saw Elijah, his, his spiritual father, if he saw Elijah when he was taken up in that ch chariot we talked about a minute ago, if you see that, you will receive a double portion of the Spirit of God come upon you in your ministry. And Elijah tested Elisha. Don't follow me to Jericho. I believe that was done on purpose not to try to destroy him. It sounds like discouragement. I think he was trying to push him away to build determination in him. I think sometimes what Satan tries to use to discourage us should build determination, not defeat in us. Elijah tested him. And twice he said, the sons of prophets discouraged him. Elisha was determined as the Lord liveth, I will not leave you. And one day, 
Elijah <laughs> was at the river Jordan. He took his mantle and smote the water, and the water separated just like God had done to Israel before. For Elijah, the miracle of God, he struck it, and Elijah and Elisha both saw it, and they crossed that Jordan. Then, on the other side of the bank, from heaven, a chariot of fire, the one we talked about for Elijah, with chariots, horses of fire, took Elijah, and while Elisha saw him, the mantle of Elijah fell, and Elisha picked it up. Then Elisha went to the same place and said, where is the God of Elijah? And he struck it, and God did the same miracle in a few minutes for Elisha that he did for Elijah. I just want you to take that few moments, and me and a friend are here. This is a man of God. I stand in awe of him. God said, don't you leave him. Don't you take your eye off of him if you do. And he strikes that. We rock across that river. All of a sudden, here's the horses of fire, the chariots of fire, and all this starts happening. The mantle falls. Elijah's gone, and I picked that thing up and hit that water, and it departed. Can you imagine what that was like? Just imagine. I'm talking to you this morning. I, wow. I wonder what God, all he had to do was just not get discouraged. All he had to do was keep his eye on that one man. Listen, I won't go through this. I could make points. Perriman, you'll never beat this. What would he have missed? Listen to this. Here's what he would have missed. First, a double portion. 14 miracles. He opened the Jordan. He healed waters in Jericho. He destroyed 42 tormentors. He consulted with at least four kings. He multiplied oil for a poor widow woman. He healed a barren woman. He raised a boy from the dead. He multiplied food for a group. He cursed Naaman with leprosy. He placed leprosy on Gehazi. He caused an axe head to swim. He told the king of Israel what the enemy king was saying in his private chamber so they could prepare for war. He brought horses and chariots of fire to deliver a city. He blinded and returned sight to an entire army. He opened the eyes of his servant. He prophesied in abundance for Samaria and on and on. Miracles that God gave him because he didn't give up. And it all happened after the spiritual leader looked at him to try to discourage him. But Elisha's amazing story doesn't stop with his death either. Second Kings 13, 20, listen to these words. So Elisha died and they buried him and the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down, this was a dead man. When they let him down and he touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Listen, there's fire in those kind of bones. There's power in those kind of bones. I want to tell you something. I serve the sovereign of all eternity from beginning to end, and you won't change God. I wonder what God wants us to experience. I just wonder what God wants us to experience. I don't care how frightened you may feel. I don't care how uncertain you may feel in all this pandemic and all the... I want to, I've never seen such, such rancor and frankly such nonsense in governments across the world in my whole life.
I go, God, what in the world is holding their brains apart, their ears apart? What, 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 are, what are we? It, it, ladies and gentlemen, does it just seem like we've lost all sense? And, and I can get involved. And I can go to, let me, let me back up and just tell you. Don't let that discourage you. I believe that that's all aligned just like my heavenly father who will never leave me for forsake me, who has promised me promises. I just wonder what he wants us to experience. It pays us to follow close to the master. Generation 2021, I'll be finished. I've been so long this morning, I'm sorry. Watch this. Israel went to the promised land because they didn't give up. Elijah went up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire and horses and even made it to the Mount of Transfiguration because he didn't give up. Ruth became an ancestor of Christ. She's only one of four women mentioned in the lineage of Christ. And finally, Elisha got a double portion of the Spirit of God and that's meat for us to chew on. Don't let anyone, anything discourage you. Discourage means you've lost your courage. Don't allow circumstance to make you turn back. God has placed faith in our hearts. How many of you in this room, how many of you online can say God has put faith in my heart? How many of you, God has put faith in my heart? How many of you believe the book? Then what in the world are we doing discouraged? What in the world do we have to be discouraged about? Dare I be this bold? I want you to turn to somebody and say, why in the world should you be discouraged? Come on. Husband, wife, friend, why should you be discouraged? God has put faith in our hearts. He has accompanied humanity since the Garden of Eden with great wonders. He still has a plan for the future. And I'm going to end with this statement. And through our due, our determination and His grace, you and I are going to hear Him say, Well done, awesome.